Before we jump into today's episode, we want to talk to you about Internet Church. Rich, what is Internet Church? Oh, it's only the best internet gathering this side of the Kailua River. Is the Kailua River a thing? Maybe we should start over. <laughs> let's let's do it again. Ask me again. <laughs> no, let's leave it in. Now no, no, let's talk about Internet Church. Uh, internet Church. Actually, it's a thing we do every other Friday night where we all gather together, uh, encourage the saints in truth. It's uplifting. It's edifying. It's just a time to gather for about an hour on a Friday night or day, depending what part of the world you're in, just to be encouraged by the saints. You you think you would like something like that? Is the Pope Catholic? Uh, you bet your sweet bippy the Pope is Catholic. And uh, Justin, Internet Church is all about gospel freedom. It's good. I'm trying to think of the follow-up question. <laughs> oh, I'm like, man, this thing is lagging. Uh, all right. If No. Absolutely love it. So if you were going to... No. What are we going for? Are we trying to be funny or are we trying to be serious? I don't know. I I mean, whatever. I, we're trying to let people know that... Oh, <laughs> I'm not as gifted as you are in this department, my friend. So join us every other Friday night, 8 o'clock Central, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern. If you are international and want to add that to your calendar so you don't have to do all the time conversions, head on over to lovereality.org slash circles and add the Internet Church Circle to your calendar. Hey, this episode of The Move is sponsored by friends over at Dwell. You've heard me talk about them already. It's a Bible app. It's on the phone. It's incredible. You should check them out because they're lovely, lovely people. We just wanted to point out and to say thank you to all of you guys who have already supported Dwell because by supporting Dwell, you support The Move and help us make more content like this all while getting a great app at the same time. Several of you guys have written us saying how much you've enjoyed Dwell and how you've been adding it to your daily routine. And that just makes us so very happy. The whole premise of the move is just spending more time in scripture, more time in community, and just the more that we get to do this, just getting to see the way that the Holy Spirit moves in our lives. And so we just want to say thank you for making time for the move. Thank you for sort of supporting our sponsors and in turn supporting this show as well. If you want to check them out, you can check them out over at dwellapp.io slash the move and get 30% off a lifetime membership. That's again, dwellapp.io slash the move. Welcome back to The Move, where we're vibing through the book 10 minutes at a time. I'm your host, Justin Koo, and in today's episode, we're talking about that one time in the Bible that Joseph paints a target on his younger brother Benjamin's back because he didn't learn his lesson from all the previous stories. If you're wondering what we're looking at, Genesis 45, verses 16 to 28, my guess is Kessia Rain. Kessia, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you guys did this when you were children, and maybe this is just more uh, a confessional about how I was when I was a kid, but... Uh, maybe around junior high. One of the big pranks that we would do is to tape the kick me sign on people's backs. And then, you know, you just kind of go around class or the cases and you just be getting kicked and you're wondering what in the world is going on. And there's the sign on your back. Um, curious if that's what happened. Did, did you guys do that? Is that, is, is that? No, archaic? I have always been wise and mature. <laughs> okay, so, so I'm reading between some lines that maybe that was part uh, that was something that your your class also participated in. I thought about that because in this passage, it's like Joseph has this beautiful moment where there's a, a bit of a reconciliation that's taken place. There's just been this beautiful moment where we get to see uh, both Joseph and his brothers like just reconnecting. There's this Messiah kind of language that's showing up, and then he does this thing where he's like, "I'm going to give you Benjamin." the youngest brother, more money than everybody else. And I'm going to just shower him like just 
And it's just like, dude, like, that's what you did for you. Like, that's what happened to you. That's what caused them to hate you. And he even seems to, like, be prepared that this might be the implication. Like, don't fight on the way home is kind of yeah, his I point. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> it's like, Joseph, come on, man. Like, I get that like, you guys are all good. You've forgiven. Reconciliation. Yeah, but, like, was that necessary? These, these, these are, like men though they all have kids you know they're fathers now hold on i don't know if maturity is kind of the result of having children because i have some (laughs) friends that are later in age that have children sure and i wouldn't put it past them to put the kick me sign on each other if given the opportunity you know you might be right about that but we (laughs) i think the whole reconciliation in chapter 45 is really premised on the agony of soul and the travail that the brothers have been through with Joseph and how they've really come to repent of that sort of nastiness, brotherly nastiness. So hopefully by this point, even though I had thought not the same thing about the kick me sign, but I was thinking, (laughs) why did you have to show so much favoritism to Benjamin? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But hopefully by this point, they are beyond fighting over it, especially because, to be honest, in the context The context is, hey, you are going to be destitute, except that God sent me ahead of you, has Mm. saved you, is preserving a remnant for you, and now you come and enjoy the best of the land. So actually, all of them are getting an amazing deal, and it would be petty, not not unheard of, not even uncommon, but it would be (laughs) petty for them in the context of, go ahead and move here to the best of the land, escape the famine. For them to quarrel with Benjamin for getting five sets of clothes or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully the the ride home wasn't as awkward. You know, uh, I'm wondering if uh, it was it Simeon who was in the prison. I wonder if he had stories to share about what it was like. Unfortunately, those aren't so. Those are some of the details that we we miss out on on this kind of telling of the story. Uh, but I I did thought think it was really interesting how there's a specific mention of word getting to Pharaoh. And Mm. Pharaoh, like in addition to just what Joseph has, you know, capability to do, the power that he has, the authority that he has, he's already planning on showering them with blessings. And yet now Pharaoh's like, oh, shoot, like your family's coming. Let's roll out the red carpet. Let's set them up. And I just thought it was just a testament to the value that Joseph brought to the land. And I think it's just such a beautiful case study of maybe one of the ways that we were meant to interact with community, to uh, meant to interact with those around us is to, to the extent that when people think about us and those who are related to us in the community, like they're like, man, if, if they're your people, I want them to be my people. I think that that's just such a cool idea, just a cool concept, something to aspire towards. That is cool. And it is basically Pharaoh's way of, it's like Pharaoh's version of giving Joseph five sets of clothes. Oh, interesting. Right? Like he has all these other people, but he's showing Joseph special favor. And that was clearly not unheard of. That was not like, I don't know, this seems like kind of some favoritism. Like he's Pharaoh, he does what he wants. So he he likes Joseph, then Joseph, bring your whole family and have these carts and they'll eat the best of the land. And then this other guy annoys him and he's like, off with his head, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the, the the picture that's sometimes painted from from rulers is that eh, kind of fickle sometimes. Right. Well, you, I mean, remember the, the baker and the cupbearer? Right. I don't know what they did to get into prison, but then they get out and then three days later, only one of them's alive and it's like, Yikes. what? Yeah, because this is the same Pharaoh that uh, off with his head, like it's very, very quick paced. 
Yeah. So that kind of favoritism is working in Joseph's favor, to be sure. And as I was reading this, I was thinking, this is a really interesting setup for Israel to understand its own history. Okay. Do tell. Right? So Genesis is the book. We've talked about this before. Genesis is the book of generations, the book of beginnings and lineages. And so this is under the section of um, the lineage of Jacob, the Toledot, the generations of Jacob. And so we're here not just finding out more about the character and the history of each of the 12 sons and the tribes and their origins, but we're also learning about how they got to Egypt. Hmm. And so this is going to set us up for the book of Exodus, where there's going to be a surprising reversal, right? So here, Pharaoh himself is saying, I want this family to come here to eat the best of Egypt, enjoy the fat of the land, have some carts. Don't even bother bringing your stuff because whatever is the best in Egypt will belong to you in verse 20. Contrast that with, I mean, in my Bible, I flip two tiny rice paper pages and all of a sudden it's like uh, a new king comes to power and he's putting the Israelites into slavery and and issues a death decree for all the baby boys born to the Hebrews. So it's sort of setting us up to understand the great narrative, the great reversal and God's deliverance that is to come. Yeah. I mean, I guess it highlights that previous point of just the fickleness of whether it's this Pharaoh or just the the Pharaoh figure in general, like from one to the next, things can change in, in in the drop of a hat. But one thing that we do see is the consistent theme between Genesis and Exodus that God in the middle of whatever it is, is still faithful, is still working things out for, for Mm -hmm. good, even when evil was meant. In fact, one of the themes of the large of the New Testament at large, you can you can see this picked up a lot in the prophets, the later prophets, is they want to tell people don't put your trust in Egypt. Mm. Don't put your trust in horses, right? These horses right. with chariots and basically that was like the advanced war technology of the time and and Egypt was a superpower and This is a story that can illustrate why you don't put your trust in Pharaoh, because ultimately Joseph doesn't give credit for this turn of events and the deliverance of his family to Pharaoh. He gives that to God. God sent me ahead of you. And God has worked through Pharaoh to put me in this place of responsibility, right, to to feed people and offer deliverance and salvation. Um, So first, God delivers his people to Egypt Hmm. to rescue them from the famine, establishes them there for hundreds of years. Then God has to deliver his people from Egypt Hmm. because, well, this Pharaoh's this way, that Pharaoh's another way. So in, in the history of Israel, it is important for them to remember that when they're facing enemies or oppression, when they're facing threats, that they don't look to Pharaoh, no matter how impressive his palace may be, no matter how impressive his troops may be, that's not the guy you put your trust in. Hmm. It's actually the Lord, the God of Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. That's that's the one you put your trust in. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think it's just interesting to, to point out that God is bringing these people into Egypt. We'll see in the next chapter, like it's actually confirmed with a vision and a dream kind of a thing. 
And, and yet the story envelops in a way that they weren't expecting, to put it lightly. And I, I can't think about how many times that I've ended up in, in a particular situation where I now have the opportunity to question, like, did I make the wrong move? Like, clearly, if God was with me, I wouldn't be in the current situation that I'm at. And I think that this story just kind of laughs in the face of that idea. It's like, no, 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 like God did bring them to Egypt. And yes, things unfolded in a way that was maybe less than what we expected, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily have forfeited the blessing of God. At least in this story, like it happens as a one-to-one, there's a direct relationship. And so we see in this story that there's a clear uh, um, precedent that just because things aren't going the way that you want, it doesn't mean that you somehow stepped out of line. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We, it, yeah, God's hand was in both bringing them to and bringing them out of Egypt at the right time. Um, and I love the, this story just gives and gives like the human interest of the story of Joseph. So rich. And I love to see, um, at the end of the story, how Jacob responds by seeing Joseph. Yeah. The the language that, at least in the ESV that I was looking at, it says that Jacob's heart was numb because he didn't believe them. And I think that that's just crazy. Like there's a, there's a resurrection motif, right? Like when the women come to uh, the disciples, they're gathering like, nah, nah, there's no way that that actually happened. They're grieving, they're mourning. There's no way that our Messiah, that our Jesus is still alive. Thomas is still doubting. And there's this numbness because they can't believe the good news. And yet, then there's this, there's this example when they hear the words of Joseph, when they hear when Jesus actually speaks to some of these disciples, they're like, oh my goodness, it is actually true. Like he is risen. Like my son is alive. Yes. His spirit revives. I'm convinced. I mean, what joy. And he's like 130 years old at this point. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and he's got to travel all the way to Egypt. <laughs> Thankfully he has a cart. I guess that's good news. I don't know. First, first class cart. First class car, that's right, 130 years old. Oh my goodness, the aches, the aches and pains. I have got 90 years until I'm that age, but still, I feel it. I feel it. Hey, I think you're doing all right. Maybe you'll make it there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe, maybe. But I do, I do love that. His heart went from stunned or numb to revived. Hmm. I just, I love it. Like the joy of seeing someone back from the dead. In fact, actually, I'll tell you a story. So um, just this past weekend, I went to a birthday party mm-hmm. in a warehouse, and it was a pretty awesome birthday party. I've been to a few. You've That's been to birthday parties. That's an place for a birthday party, a warehouse. Like I'm thinking like a Home Depot warehouse, like just completely cement flooring kind of warehouse? Yeah, cement flooring warehouse, and it, okay. it, it's for a lawn care company here in town. And oh. But it was a surprise party for someone's 60th birthday, but... Cool. What made this party so special, Justin, is we're recording this and it's going to air in, in a couple of days here in the early part of May. But just a few months ago, in the middle of January, this brother was two feet in the grave. Uh-oh. I mean, like he had, he, he was doing so poorly. He'd gotten COVID. Things are so bad. He was on a ventilator. They tried to take him off sedation. He wouldn't wake up. They were scanning for brain activity to see if he was brain dead. We had anointing, just intensive prayer. And so yesterday at the birthday party, I was like, I feel like I'm at a birthday party for Lazarus. Oh, cool. You know what I mean? Like this is a man who back from the dead and he's up walking, he's back to work. And if I could just, I mean, if you knew his medical history where he was 
in January. It's just wild. It's totally a miracle, totally an answer to prayer. And it's it's totally crazy. And it was like, this is a real hmm. celebration of life, a real yeah. birthday party, because you know what it was like to be prepared to like plan the funeral. Right. You know, and now you're having this birthday party and it's like, that's a wild feeling. Something maybe like, like Jacob experienced, maybe? Yeah. The celebrations that happen on the other side of tragedy are, are different. And I'm curious, maybe did, did this individual, the one that you celebrated the life of, did, did this individual have any reflections on life that he was able to share with those? Because cause like I've been fortunate enough not to have any that I can remember near-death experiences where I've had to really consider my own mortality in that way. I'm, and I'm guessing things kind of come into focus a little bit when you, when you, you're two feet in the grave, as you said, mm-hmm. was, was there any wisdom that that individual imparted? A hundred percent. At least for me, one of the takeaways was that life is rich hmm. and it's beautiful. And the small things that we all take for granted because we're focused on other things mm-hmm. were so beautiful to him and to his family. So I remember after he he woke up and was able to get extubated and all that stuff. And he was in a wheelchair. He'd been in the hospital for weeks. He hadn't seen the sunshine on his face Mercy. for weeks. So the day that he got to go outside and sit in that wheelchair, just in a parking lot of a hospital, okay, this is not like seeing the Grand Canyon. <laughs> you know, This is like some tulips waving in the wind surrounded by SUVs. It was so beautiful to him. It was so precious. He got he got emotional talking about it. And every wow. single time he he got to have a life experience, totally ordinary life experience again for the first time, he it was it was so moving and impacting hmm. to him. It's so meaningful to him to experience life that way. I don't know that this is maybe one to one the exact same, but the other day we were doing dinner with some friends and we did the we did this like maybe we've only done this once or twice since Maddie's been born, like the dinner thing, yes, but also the like keeping him out past his bedtime type of thing. And so when I was carrying him into the apartment, like he was just passed out on my shoulder. And rather than do the parenting kind of thing, which I think is the default, is rush them into bed and try and make sure that you get as close to the routine as possible. Like I just I just sat on the couch for like 10 minutes holding him just passed out on my shoulder. It was hot and it was sweaty and it was all kind of clammy and all the, it was uncomfortable, but it was just, it was uncomfortable in all the beautiful ways that like you would want that moment to be. And so I'm sitting there on the couch just trying to imprint this moment in my mind. I'm like, God, like, please let me just be able to remember this and to truly appreciate it because I, I was sitting there and this is just like a stupid realization. And yet it was profound to me in the moment. I'm like, he's never going to be this small again. I'm never going to be able to hold him quite like this again. And, and so uh, just, just being able to really be present in that moment, I felt like it was, it was a true gift. Yes. The best gift that we see in your story, in the story of my friend, Scott, I was talking about, and even the story of Jacob and Joseph is that the things in life that matter the most, the things that are worth paying attention to, investing in, the mm. things that really bring life to us, it's relationships. Yeah, because notice Jacob didn't really have any commentary on the donkeys and the shekels of silver and all the clothing. His focus was on his son, the reunification with his son. My husband has a saying that he repeats very often to our children. And he says, life is about and then in their voices, they fill in the blank. 
relationships. Oh. <laughs> Life is about relationships and it's a hundred percent true. Yeah. Would you, what would you rather have like shekels of silver and carts and an invitation to live Egypt's best resort mm. or to see the sun that you thought was dead that now is alive? Hmm. Not even yeah. a competition, not even not a, a competition. competition. In fact, if it cost you everything that you had, you would still embrace that son that you thought you had lost. Isn't that the story of the gospel? Mm-hmm. Uh, a father willing to give everything for the hope that he could be reunited with his son. Mm-hmm. Can you believe mm-hmm. that we would bring our God this kind of joy? Woo! I mean, good. and I don't think people... I think joy, God's joyfulness, is an underappreciated characteristic. Yeah, that God can be joyful or happy. Yeah, and and the thing because we don't we don't want a God that's affected emotionally. Because what does it say that He's pliable? That He's you know He's He's movable? He's just undependable. But like the idea that you you could do something, or maybe not even doing something, but your presence does something to God emotionally. Yeah. There's a whole theology there on on what's called the impassibility or passibility of God, divine mm-hmm. impassibility. Is God affected emotionally by his creation? But one thing I know for sure anchored right here in Ephesians 1 is that everything that God did for us in Jesus, this whole amazing salvation, redemption, recreation thing, it says that he did it and it was in accordance, this is the Bible, Bible language, in accordance with his pleasure and will, which means he wanted to do it and it gave him pleasure. Like yeah. it made him happy to do it. And this, I mean, it says that twice just in verses three through 10. Yeah. Um, God wanted to do this for us. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. like, oh, I get to. I well, get yeah, to I mean, save them. This, this is what Hebrews says, right? That that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our, faith, uh, of our faith, who for the joy that was set mm-hmm. before him endures the cross, despising the shame. Like the joy was you. The joy was, was me. Like in a very real sense, that was not only worth it, but it made him joyful to be able to do because of what it would accomplish in reuniting him and us. Jacob had no regrets with his creaky old 130-year-old body on some (laughs) cart from Canaan to Egypt. When he saw his son, he forgot about all of that. And that's Mm. the kind of joy that we get in our relationship with God. We get to be those objects of delight and joy. What an awesome privilege. Amen.